And welcome back to the Word Encounter, episode 85. And um, we stopped in Nehemiah chapter 10 yesterday. Uh, we will recall that Nehemiah uh, was concerned about the size of the city of Jerusalem, and there just weren't enough people to populate it. But he came across um, uh, a genealogical book uh, from Zerubbabel when they had made their first, uh, when the first wave of of uh, exiles came back from Babylon. And, um, and so he was digging through this, and so now he knows that he has a pool of people to pick from. So it says in uh, chapter 11, Now the leaders of the people... Uh, stayed in Jerusalem, and the rest um, and the rest of the people cast lots for one out of ten to come to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the other nine tenths remain in their towns. The people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem, and so we see that they cast lots to come uh, come back from the surrounding towns in Judah to come live in Jerusalem, and so this indicates that they weren't too thrilled about leaving their lands and their property spread throughout Judah to go resettle or repopulate Jerusalem. And that could have been for many reasons, right? I mean, they had been there a number of years uh, in their towns, you know, cultivating their fields and their lands and whatnot. And this would probably constitute a do-over. They'd have to restart things. Um, they would be... Um, uh, uh, in a territory in a land uh, unfamiliar to them as far as living is concerned. And so um, so there just wasn't a lot of thrill for repopulating. So they cast lots. And um, so that would definitely mean that that would be a different uh, style of living. And, you you know, we know that people don't like change. And, and so this was no different back then. And so in chapter 11, uh, we see uh, what's happening here. And throughout the rest of the chapter, basically... <clears throat> Um, it goes through uh, like the, the Benjamites, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, you know, all the people um, uh, that were selected and who they were, what family they came from, what line they came from, and all of those uh, type of uh, lineage details are what comprise of the remainder of chapter 11. So let's go on to chapter 12. And we see that uh, in chapter 12, a continuation in the first part of chapter 12 of the details of the lineage of the people who were going back to resettle Jerusalem. And then in chapter 7 or 27, um, we see that the wall is, excuse me, in verse 27, we see that the wall is dedicated. And it says in um, verse 27, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, uh, they sent for the Levites wherever they lived and brought them to Jerusalem to celebrate the joyous dedication with thanksgiving and singing accompanied by cymbals, harps, and lyres. The, uh, the singers gathered uh, from the region around Jerusalem, for they had uh, built settlements, settlements for themselves around Jerusalem. After the priests and Levites had purified themselves, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. And so <clears throat> we see that they brought all the Levites back and the singers you know, and I guess musicians too, because this was to be a celebration at the dedication of the wall. And so they needed all of the proper people and instruments to uh, conduct that celebration. And, and then it says, uh, if we drop down to verse 32, then the singer sang, uh, on that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. The women and children also celebrated and Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard far away. So obviously this was a great big party. 
a great big celebration at the completion of the wall uh, because it, as far as the, um, the thoughts in those days at those times, you know, you weren't legitimate unless you had a wall around your city. And so they were legitimate now. They were ready to, to get about the business of running the city of Jerusalem, executing all of the Lord's tenets, commandments, and, and doctrines with, uh, with regard to uh, how to conduct business in the temple, how the offerings and sacrifices and whatnot are to be conducted. Now, <clears throat> the city, this, a city center is very, very important. As we see in our country, you might be listening in different parts of the country um, or different parts of the world, I should say. And, uh, but most cities are somewhat similar in that you have a city, a city center, and then you have suburbs or areas around the city. But it is a city center that really governs the, uh, the life of the region. And so it doesn't matter for the most part what's happening in surrounding areas. If the center city is dying or infected with disease or whatever, everything is going to be affected around it. And so it's important for the city center to be in good health, if you will, and particularly good uh, spiritual health. And so Jerusalem was to serve as the spiritual center for Judah. And so therefore it had to be vibrant. It had to be alive spiritually. And so this was very important that it had access to all of the people necessary in order to make sure that this was being conducted on a regular basis for the health of the nation. And so, um, and so then it says, uh, if we go on at the tail end of chapter 12 and verse uh, 47, it says, so the days of, Zerub uh, the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, all uh, Israel contributed the daily portions for the singers and gatekeepers. They also set aside daily portions for the Levites, and the Levites set aside daily portions for Aaron's descendants. And so we see that the community is taking care of the people that are serving the Lord. A very important principle here. And so, you know, everybody's out there working their fields, their vineyards, and and, and whatnot in order to, it was a agrarian, a, agrarian society, and so all the food had to be grown and and cultivated and, and, and whatnot. And this had to be shared. And remember, God is the one that set up the system uh, that the, um, the Israelites would take care out of, a, out of the tent, that they would take care of the Levites and the priests and whatnot. And so this is just a continuation um, of what God had already set up. And so it's important to take care of the people that are serving the Lord because ultimately they're serving you. And so uh, this has to be a very, very... Um, uh, critical thing uh, that people who are not in the priesthood, not serving God in that direct way, uh, to realize so that they can understand the importance of this activity. Then we move on to chapter 13. It says in verse 1, at that time the book of Moses was read publicly to the people. Now, remember, it's not like today. We got to get out of our mindset where everybody has access to a Bible. You know, I've got several Bibles. I can have several more if I wanted to. There is no obstacle between me and gaining access to a Bible. Well, in this case, remember, they had discovered the word of the Lord. They only had one. <laughs> and so it says at that time, the book of Moses was read publicly to the people. The people didn't have access to their own. So if they didn't hear it publicly, if they didn't go somewhere in order to hear the word, then they wouldn't. And so we're kind of spoiled today because we have already access to it. But 
we don't read it. <laughs> so it's there. It's there to be consumed by us because it's there in order to get our thinking right so that we can live appropriately and live rightly before the Lord and, and do what it is that we are destined to do. We go on. It says the command was found written. The, the command was found written in it that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. Because they did not meet the Israelites with food and water, instead they hired uh, Balaam against them to curse them, but our God turned their curse into a blessing. And so if you recall, when Israel had crossed the Jordan and they came out, and they were, um, the Lord was telling them to go to different places, the Ammonites and the Moabites would not let them cross their territory, even though they had no hostile intent. And so they just wanted to cut through because it was shorter and they wouldn't let them do it. And so here that's being remembered because they wouldn't let us do that. And then it says that no Ammonite or Moabite um, should ever uh, enter the assembly of God. And so they had to leave. <laughs> so it says in verse three, when they heard the law, they separated all those of mixed descent from Israel. And so they basically, if they were in or near Jerusalem, they put them out. So I guess you reap what you sow, you know, even though this was a hundred years prior to that. <clears throat> Verse four. Now, before this, the priest uh, Eliashib uh, had been put in charge of the storehouses or, or excuse me, the storerooms of the house of our God. And so the priest uh, Eliashib, he was put in, in charge. And so it says um, he was a relative of Tobiah. Now, remember, Tobiah was the one with uh, uh, Shambhalot that was always, you know, cursing Nehemiah, uh, sending out false reports, trying to intimidate Nehemiah, intimidate the Israelites because they did not want this wall being built or finished. And so Tobiah was one of the main principles. And it says he was a relative. The priest that was in charge of the storerooms uh, was a relative of Tobiah and had prepared a large room for him uh, where they had previously stored uh, the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, and the tents of grain, new wine, and fresh oil. So this had to be a pretty uh, big room. It was a storeroom, you know, for these things. And so it says that they had prepared the room for Tobiah. So I don't know if they didn't store anything in there anymore, and they just made, converted it into a room or, a little, or, or an apartment or whatever for them. And it says um, in verse 6, while all this was happening, I, Nehemiah, was not in Jerusalem because I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign. It was only later that I asked the king for a leave of absence so I could return to Jerusalem. Then I discovered the evil that Eliashab had done on behalf of Tobiah by providing him a room in the courts of God's house. And so this is in the temple. This is in God's house where they apparently evacuated the room, made him an apartment or a room or a bedroom or whatever. And then ne Nehemiah finds this out, that this is, was the guy that was cursing us and didn't want us to finish. And then, then it says um, in verse 8, I was greatly displeased and threw all of Tobiah's household possessions out of the room. I ordered that the rooms be purified and that... Um, and I had the articles of the house of God restored there along with the uh, grain offering and frankincense. And so when <laughs> Nehemiah finds this out, wait a minute, this dude that's been cursing me and whatnot, you made provision for him in God's house? Oh, no. Oh, no. He's got to go. And so when Nehemiah finds this out, he throws all this stuff out. In verse 10, 
I also found out that because the portions for the Levites had not been given, each of the Levites and the singers performing uh, the service had gone back to his own field. And so they were providing, I guess when Nehemiah was there, on a daily basis, the portions for the Levites, the priests, the singers and whatnot, the people were doing this. But I guess when Nehemiah went uh, back to Babylon, they stopped doing it. And so they stopped doing it. And so therefore the priests and the, or, yeah, the, priests, the Levites and the singers, they said, well, we got to provide for ourselves. So they left Jerusalem and went back to their lands. In verse 11, therefore I, Nehemiah, rebuked the officials asking, why has the house of God been neglected? I gathered the Levites and singers together and stationed them at their posts. Then all Judah brought a tenth of grain, new wine, and fresh oil into the storehouses. And so when Nehemiah comes back, first of all, he pitches Tobias you know, to buy a stuff. And then the second thing is, wait, I got to deal with this. And so he brings them all back. And then all of Judah comes back and brings a tenth of uh, provision uh, for the Levites and the priests and the singers. And then drop down to verse 14. <laughs> This is the first of several times that Nehemiah says this. He says, remember this for me, my God, and don't erase the deeds of faithful love I have done for the house of my God and for his services. And so Nehemiah is pointing out, you know, God, don't, don't forget I'm doing all this good stuff on your behalf. Keep me in mind, Lord, keep me in mind. In verse 15, at that time I saw people in Judah uh, treading wine presses on the Sabbath. And so the Sabbath was a day of rest. There was to be no work being done on the Sabbath. But he observed that he saw people treading, you know, squishing grapes and whatnot um, on the Sabbath. And it says they were also bringing in stores of grain and loading them on donkeys, along with uh, wine, grapes, and figs. All kind of goods were being brought um, to Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And so all kind of goods were being brought into Jerusalem, you know, through the gates uh, to get through the wall in, in order to uh, provide provision and whatnot uh, for Jerusalem on the Sabbath. This was work. And so it says in uh, verse 17, I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Didn't our ancestors do the same so that our God brought all this disaster on us in this city? And now you are rekindling his anger against Israel by profaning the Sabbath? And so, you know, Nehemiah is saying, wait a minute. Don't you guys know anything about history? Don't you know that we have been jacked up because of this exact same thing? And yet you're doing it? Come, come. We can't have this. <clears throat> and in verse 22, it says, Then I instructed the Levites to purify themselves and guard the city gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. And so he put people at the gate so they couldn't bring product into the city and people end up working. And so he put an end to this work in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And then what does Nehemiah say? It says, remember me for this also, my God, and look on me with compassion according to the abundance of your faithful love. And he told Nehemiah, I said, look, Lord, I'm doing another great thing on your behalf. Don't forget me, Father. Don't forget me. I'm doing this work to keep these knuckleheads straight. Don't forget me. And then in verse 22, it says, In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples, but could not speak Hebrew. So here we are back on the marriage thing. So we can see that the marriage thing was a huge issue. 
a huge issue because of what it ushered in. And so he's saying, look, half of our kids don't know how to speak the language. That's how bad it is. <clears throat> Verse 25, I, re I rebuke them, curse them. <laughs> this makes me laugh. I rebuke them, curse them, beat some of their men and pull their hair out. <laughs> So I guess Nehemiah was mad, right? He says, I forced them uh, to take an oath before God and said, you must not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters as wives for your sons or yourselves. Now remember, they had a vow. If we go back to yesterday's episode, they had a vow of faithfulness. And the first thing was, we wouldn't do this. We won't do this. We won't marry, you know, foreign women and we won't give our sons uh, to foreign women. We will not allow this to happen. And he has caught this happening. And so therefore he, he beat them up and pulled their hair out and made them swear an oath before the Lord. And, and in verse 26, it says, didn't King Solomon of Israel sin in matters like this? Uh, there was not a king like him among many nations. He was loved by his God and God made him king over Israel. Yet foreign women drew him into sin. And so with Solomon, his downfall was with foreign women because they led him to worship other idols. They led him to worship, I should say, they led him to worship other gods and worshiping idols and doing things that he knew he was prohibited from doing, but he did it anyway. Verse 27, why then, so in other words, he's saying, if Solomon, who was favored by the Lord and had all this stuff, if he failed to this sin, why then should we hear about you all um, uh, doing this terrible evil and acting unfaithfully against our God by marrying foreign women? So if Solomon fell by this, <laughs> you're certainly going to fall by this. So why are you doing it? Even one of the sons of uh, uh, Jehoiada, son of the high priest Eliashib, had become a son-in-law to Sambalat the Horonite. So I drove him away from me. So one of the priest's sons had become one of Nehemiah's uh, adversary's son-in-law. And he says, you know, so I, I drove him away from me. And it says in verse 30, so I purified them from everything foreign and assigned specific duties to each of the priests and Levites. I also arranged for the donation of wood at the appointed times for the first fruits. And then the last uh, sentence in the book of Nehemiah is, remember me, my God, with favor. <laughs> so we see in the book of Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah was the governor over the territory, and he had to keep imposing and enforcing the will of the Lord on the people because apparently their memories were short, their attention uh, span wasn't long, and when he had vacated the premises, they started to slide back into the activities that they knew they shouldn't do because it was the downfall of their ancestors, but they did it anyway. So Nehemiah comes back, discovers this, and then he has to write everything again before the Lord. And then he says, remember me, Lord, don't forget what I've done on behalf of you and these people. And so with that, we have concluded the book of Nehemiah, and we will pick up in the book of Esther, one of my favorite books in the entire Bible, tomorrow. Everybody have a blessed day. Bye-bye.